we've seen is that even a person whose sole desire in life is to cleave to Hashem through Torah and mitzvahs, that in no way is an indication that their animal soul has become displaced, subjugated in any way. At best, it can be considered sleeping or dormant. And so if we think about it, what that means is that the, the love for Hashem that Abainani is experiencing during prayer, whether that, um, that, that love is something that the Abainani has to create. They have to generate that. And what happens if they were to stop generating that? The love ceases. Now, the last bit, as we spoke about yesterday, deals with the question of whether that is, there's any truth in this love, or whether there's that in way authentic. Um, I want to give over the simple idea before we read the text, and I want to talk a little about why the simple idea is silly. You can read this, and this is that you can come up with, and I think it's a silly idea, okay? Because the wording does kind of indicate it. Um, each person should be judged on their level. In other words, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say um, that we should hold a child to the same standard we hold an adult to, right? Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. So should we hold the Bainani to the same standard we hold the Tzaddik to? No. So therefore we should adjust the meaning or the criteria of things in accordance with the level of the... Um, the person, right? You know, what's successful for a toddler is not success for an adult. So what's successful for a Baini is not success for a tzaddik. What's a failure for a tzaddik wouldn't be a failure for a Bainini. That make sense? Okay. So therefore, what is truthful and authentic for a tzaddik is not necessarily the standard of what's truthful and authentic for a Bainini. Yeah? That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's wrong with that idea? Believe in ultimate truth. Okay, we believe in ultimate truth. Right? Truth is not something that should have that adjusting status. Which we want to elaborate on that point. Okay. So that's the that's the 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 theological thing. Remember, I said there's two issues yesterday. One is the theological, and one is the psychological. So the theological problem is that um, truth is absolute. Okay? And then we're going to come back to that. What's another problem? It's a psychological problem with. <coughs> with having a relative notion of truth. Well, truth being absolute, it's absolute on every... We're going we're gonna to come back and talk. We're gonna, like, I, Why is that a problem? I, 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 I want to first list the problems and then elaborate on the problems. Okay. okay. What's the psychological... What would be the psychological issue with saying that we should adjust the notion of truth to be relative to each person where they're holding? No no reality for a person to believe in because there's nothing to strive for. Let me ask you, let me ask you a different question, yeah? 
what does it mean? Or whatever. Why do we care whether or not something is true? I don't mean I don't mean that not that it's not that it's right. In other words, I understand that if you're being lied, you're being misled. That the facts are one thing. Or That's clearly not what we're meaning here by truth. There's a baby neither experiencing love of Hashem. The whole question is that they're having to generate it artificially, right? And so it only lasts as long as you're generating it. Okay, so it's it's lack of truthfulness. It's not they think they love Hashem, but they don't really love Hashem. It's just it's an illusion. No, it's it it it, 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 it they are experiencing that thing. They have generated that. So. Why does it matter whether or not it's truthful or it's not truthful? Now, one issue is like if, if it's about connecting to Hashem and Hashem's absolute truth, then therefore there should be truthful there. But psychologically, so to make this a little bit clear, let's, 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 let's use the following um, uh, piece of popular culture. There is a, um, a musical called The Filler on the Roof. You've heard of it? Sure. Okay. So in The Filler on the Roof, um, the main character, Tevya, discovers that his oldest daughter does not want to marry the rich butcher who is a widower. Despite that's the reasonable thing to do, because he's a rich butcher. Instead, she wants to marry the poor tailor. And why does she want to marry the poor tailor instead of the rich butcher? Because she's in love with the poor tailor. Of course, this creates a crisis for Tevya, because Tevya never considered the idea that marriage has anything to do with whether you love somebody. Mm. Um... So he goes home and he really, this actually makes a certain kind of emotional sense. So he goes home and he asks his wife if she loves him, right? And there's a whole musical number, blah, blah, blah. Okay. What's his wife's response? She tells him all the practical reasons. Why? She's like, I, you know, I do all this stuff for you. Like, what kind of questions do I love you? But he's not satisfied with that. He wants to know, but does he love her? Okay. So now... In that debate between Tevya and his wife, I think his wife's name is Golda, right? Yeah. yeah okay. Um, who do you think has the, which, are, which side of that debate seems more correct to you? That, what does it matter whether I love you or not? And then I'm doing, you know, I do all this stuff. I, you know, I, I do all, whatever, whatever it is that a husband does for his wife or wife does for a husband, I do that. So if that's good enough, why do you need to know if I love you? Or Tevye's argument, yeah, yeah, but I need to know, do you love me? Which side of the debate sounds... His. What? His. You more resonate with his side. Why? It's more... It's true. It's, oh, it's true. true. It's more authentic, right? The idea is you want something more authentic, right? In other words, there's this notion that if all it is is just the behavior, then there's no real connection, right? You aren't really connected, right? And somehow we think that that's what marriage is about, rightly or wrongly. I'm not going into that. That's not the topic of the class. Good? Okay. So now let's make an updated, you know, 21st century version of Fiddler on the Roof, right? Okay. Um, so Tevye comes home and he asks his wife, Golda, does she love him? And she says, do I love you? I, every morning, I spend a lot of time journaling about you until I bring myself to a place where I feel a strong desire to spend time with you. And then we go out for lunch and I really enjoy it. Sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, oh, okay, I guess you love me, right? Problem solved. No, his response is, but do you love me, right? Like the fact that you journal about me for 30 minutes a day till the fact that you're strong enough desire to go, spe- go have lunch with me, it's very nice. <laughs> but... <laughs> You see the problem? No, I'm still more authentic than doing dishes for 
I, it's more authentic than doing dishes. But you would understand why the Tevye character would then still reply, yes, but do you actually love me? Is it because he can't know that? Like, he'll never be satisfied with her answers? No. No. Okay. You could imagine, like, you know, like, like, if, 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 Tevye comes home and says, do you love me? And the Golda says, what do you mean? The first thing that I think about when I wake up is I'm so happy that you're here. Like, with that, like just, that, that, that's, my, that's my waking thought. And the last thought I have going to sleep as I drift off to sleep is a gratitude that you're part of my life. Like, that's somebody who really loves somebody, right? If you sit and journal about it for 30 minutes every morning to get yourself to the point that you really want to have lunch with somebody. I mean, it's nice, but that's not the same thing as being in love with them, is it? Constant state of davening is like the person who's obsessively journaling all day long. But even then, like, couldn't you argue that I'm journaling to unlock a part of myself that I have a hard time? Now you're, what's that, what now you're doing is you're trying to answer the question. I just want you to appreciate the question, okay? The other thing is, let's keep in mind, is that the bane who davens all day long is an aberration. It's an aberration. It's not normal. In other words, yes, it's theoretically possible for a person to achieve such a place, right? Okay, but it, 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 it's not, it's not normal. And what I mean to say it's not normal is that everything has to be just in the right alignment. It's like, it's like driving. Is it possible to drive through the city and never hit a red light? Possible. It's possible, right? Um, but it's very unlikely, right? Everything has to be lined up just right. So you have to have a person, like everything has to work out that they're, they're, they're contemplating Hashem is deep enough that it's able to perpetuate itself despite the fact all this stuff going on in their life. And like, okay, yes, you can theoretically understand how that could happen, but that's, even though everything is ultimately by Hashgach HaPratis and the by Pravis, there's no kind of, there's no such thing as just circumstance, but relative to the person, it's almost circumstantial. The Bainini who davens all day long is just circumstantially in a different, different, place than the classic Bainini who's davening stops because he has to get on with life and he can't stay in that place. It's, it, it's not a true substantive difference between the two. That was actually the altar of his whole point here, is that Rabbah's view is that really I'm just like the guy who's davening, but for some reason I'm able to manage doing it all the time. But, it, it, but, it, but, it's, but it's not really a, if we look at the, if we look at the issue in it, in it, at, at its core, there's not really anything more profound going on with the Baini who's davening all day long than the Baini who davens from time to time. The only difference is just it's going to, circumstances allow for it to last with a greater quantity, but it's not something that's intrinsically lasting. Which is again why, if the person were to kind of relax from from that engagement, the whole thing would fall apart. The yeah. Tzaddik, right, isn't engaged in this all the time. Maybe he is because it's just where his heart's at, but... Well, exactly that, because where his heart's at. So it's, it's, it, there's an effortlessness about it. So the thing is, though, are they like, like Rabbi Shimon Barakai, who's just stays in the cave all the time and never walks out? No. The Tzaddik can go out into the street and still be in that place. He doesn't have to stop davening. Or maybe he's davening as he's walking and bumping into trees. No. <laughs> Or maybe his awareness of Hashem is such that the awareness of the world doesn't take away from his awareness of Hashem. So that's the difference. 
that's a huge difference. But 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 even a Bain Yudav is like, there's a level of maturity to be able to like be aware of two things simultaneously. Human beings can do that. But that's not the essence of the matter. The essence of the matter is that, is that the Bain and the, even the Bain Yudavans all day long, this is an act. This is a thing he is doing. And if he stops doing it, you will discover what's inside is not what you, what you, what, what you see from the outside or even what he sees looking at himself from the outside, from his own self-reflection. Right? So it's very much analogous like the person who journals in the morning to get themselves to feel positive about their spouse so that when they go out for lunch together, they really want to be there. I mean, that's nice. It's good. I mean, that's a great thing. I'm sure marriage counselors would recommend doing that, but there's a reason why you need a marriage counselor to recommend that kind of thing. Question. Right. Can you get to that space of being a tzaddik from doing what the Benoni and Davins all day does? We're going to talk about that in chapter 14. There's something qualitatively different about the tzaddik's experience of love Hashem and the Bainanis, and we haven't really addressed what that is specifically. It's been alluded to, but in chapter 14, he makes it quite explicit, so I'm going to save it for that. Okay. Yeah, but, but what makes it lower? The fact that it's not complete and not complete truth. Okay, but we have to understand what that is and why that is. It's just saying, I mean, it's clearly lower because it doesn't have the same effects, but what really is the... What is the real difference? The Alter Abbas says clearly in chapter 14. So, let's stay focused on this topic. I know we all want to go to chapter 14 because that's what the Alter starts telling you. This is what you should expect. This is what you're well, we're learning chapter 13, not 14. Do we answer the original question of why it matters if it's the truth? Psychologically, I think, it, I think if you use the fiddler on the roof analogy, I think it becomes very clear why it matters, right? It feels... Um, as a human being, it feels that if you have to do something in order to feel something, there's something inauthentic about that relationship. It feels fake, right? And that's why you could identify with the Tevye character saying, but do you really love me? Not only if the, not only if the relationship is, is just limited to behaviors, right? like in the actual feeling of the roof, but even you know, if, it, if it has emotion to it, but it's emotion that's generated through a process, that's limited to how effective that process is, there still feels like something inauthentic about that psychologically, something like you're lacking in something. And then there's the question also about the idea that in Judaism, truth is to do with the idea of absolute truth, the idea of Hashem. Okay. I want to elaborate on these things to make sure that it's, it's clearer. And then we can go in and read what the Altar says. Because I, I don't want you to read this as the Altar saying, well, we'll just adjust the standards for different people on different levels. Because that's not what he's actually saying even though you could read it that way if that's what you wanted to say, you just highlight those specific parts. Yes? How does all that esoteric come into? For right now, it does not. Okay. Um, the the Alter but only really discusses Avon Soteris in any, which is the innate hidden love every Jew has. He only discusses that in any detail starting in chapter 18. And actually has to do an entire reworking of our understanding of the godly soul to get to that. Um, it shows up briefly in a few different places. Like in chapter 12, it showed up very, very briefly. It'll show up again in chapter 14, a little more at length. But it's, not, it's, only, being, it's only being referenced. It's not actually being, the idea is not being, right. It's for sure not the answer. I thought it was the answer. But that's not what he said. No, it's not the answer. Is that because we have an innate love in us 
it is true. We're just I, we're trying to awaken something that's already there, but because it's already there, that's how we know it's true. No, that's so let, let, let me actually explain why that answer is not the answer. Because the Alter Rebbe is discussing the love that's generated through contemplating. He's not talking about the innate love. Because the question was never about the innate love that every Jew has. Is that truthful? That was not the question. The question was the love that's generated during prayer, right? The love that comes from the tagbaris, the overpowering intensity of the godly soul that comes from the bina, right? That, that grappling with the truth of Hashem that the Bainani experiences when they're davening, whether they're davening is all the time or some of the time. It's talking about that love. He is not asking the question about their commitment to Torah and mitzvahs. Right. That was never the question. Okay. The question is that as true as it's Tzadik's love? Is that true at all? Okay. That, so, 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 okay. In other words, in other words, if Teviad would come home to his wife and ask and ask Golda, "Are you committed to this marriage?" That would be a silly question. She's obviously committed to the marriage, right? That wasn't his question, though. His question was not about behavior. It wasn't even about her commitment to that behavior, her sense of identification with how important that behavior is. His question was about... Do you feel? Do you feel emotion, right? Passion, yearning, desire, right? That was what his question is about. And so her answer doesn't answer his question. That's what the altar is asking, going to be talking about. Is not, he's not saying the Bainani's observance of Torah and mitzvahs is not true. That's clearly true. What do you mean? The Bainani has got himself to a point that as far as he is concerned, sinning is out of the question because he has a clarity of his mind. He has, he has an awareness of his heart. He knows who he is. And, and so when it comes to the, 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 the um, dedication to doing good and turning away from evil... That ultimately doesn't question the truthfulness of that. The thing that we're questioning the truthfulness of is the animal soul being asleep, the godly soul being inflamed with passion. Is that true or is that just an act? Because it seems like an act because it's something that he has to generate. The truth meaning that there's actually feeling behind it and not just no, the, whether the feeling is true. So, so the, the, in other words, the, 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 something, is, something is truthful. So this is what I want to get at. When we say that something is truthful for a person, psychologically, it means it's reflective of themselves. It expresses themselves. So, for instance, if I come into this classroom, right, and I'm, let's say, very charismatic, theoretically, maybe, maybe I'm not, right? But that's something that I have to put on and if you were to just meet me just regular life, you would see that I'm not like that at all, right? It doesn't mean that I'm not, in fact, being charismatic. It just means that's not who I am, right? Now, that's not a big deal because I'm coming to teach and, like, you know, that's fine. But now, again, think about the thing of, like, say, love between spouses. If that would be the case, that you really think that love, feelings of love are an important part of marriage, and... Your spouse has to do stuff to generate feelings of love, and then without that, they just dissipate. Then what does that seem like? That's true and authentic. That the love is not authentic. They don't really love you, or you don't really love them, depending on which way you're looking at it. My question is, who is the you? I mean, we have the godly soul and the animal soul. So is it the animal soul? Does the animal soul genuinely? Is 
No, no, we're talking about the goggle soul. Because the animal soul is not, for the bane of the animal soul is asleep. That's not the question. So is the That love that's generated during prayer is that authentic. But then the innate love... We're not talking about the innate love. But how are they separate? Isn't the godly soul always... No, 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 no. So it has to wait for okay. itself? Okay, okay. Do you love your children? Why? Yeah, I just do. Because of your children. That's not you just do because they're your children. Yes. Okay. Do you love your children in the same way? I've met two of your sons. I don't know. Do you have any? No, you have any two. Two, right? Do you love them in the same way? As each other? Yeah. Um, I, get, I mean, it depends what I call love. Yeah. That's right. It does depend what you call love. Because there is a sense in which we need both my sons and I love them both. And yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. But there is a sense like they're very different people. Yes. And the way you feel about having them in your life is very different. And you, right, there's a different flavor to the love and that comes from getting to know them, right? From having an understanding of them, having a sense of them, right? Yes. Okay, so there is love that is generated from experience with your mind. Now that love, but, but the, and then there's love that is innate. Okay, we're not talking about the innate love, right? That's a whole other topic. The algebra only makes passing reference to it. It's a topic discussed only beginning really in any seriousness in chapter 18. We're not anywhere close to that. And we do will talk about the innate love of Hashem. It's radically different than what we're talking about here. Okay. Why isn't that the important part, though? Because we're talking so much about generated love and how, how the behavior is not reflective of who we are there for, of the love that we generate with our behavior is not really truthful. Why is that more important than the innate love? I didn't say it's more important, but let's, let's start with... with let, let's, let's make sure we, we have something clear. The fact that love is generated by your mind doesn't make it less truthful. The fact that the love needs to constantly be regenerated. In other words, you know your children, you feel certain ways about them because of you got to know them. You don't have to every morning sit down and journal about it in order to bring yourself to actually feeling those positive feelings towards them, right? It's something that has been acquired and become part of who you are in a genuine and authentic way. Okay? The relationships we have with all people, even when they're, they're really authentic, there's still things that have been produced by the mind. But the, th- the thing about the bainini that's different is that the feelings are there only as long as the mind is producing them. When the mind stops producing them, what happens? They go away. That's the question. That's the issue. It's not the fact that they're produced by the mind. It's that the manner in which they're produced is that it doesn't actually last. It doesn't have any staying power. If I, if I sit down and really reflect upon something in, 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 a, in an honest way and I change how I feel about it and then as soon as I get up and move on with my life, it's as if it never happened, you can ask the question, how authentic were those feelings? But if, if after I stop that, I move on, I live my life and my whole attitude, my whole feeling, my actual emotions are radically different because of that process, well, that's a genuine change in myself. So we're talking about the awareness of the godly self, godly self's awareness. We're talking about we're talking about very very. It's very. It's like you're, I think you're making it more complicated than it needs to be. When the bainini prays, the bainini genuinely desires to be close to Hashem because the love is awakened. No, 
We didn't say anything about awakening love, ever. We never said anything about awakening love. You keep wanting to put it in there. Because the godly soul is doing what? It's working. It's working at being aware of Hashem. And as it's aware of Hashem, that brings out this intense desire to connect. And when, if the Bainani were to stop that contemplation, what would happen to that intense desire to connect? It goes away. So would it be the animal soul or the godly soul that's doing work, or both? The work is the work of the godly soul. Okay. okay. And when that's happening, what's happening with the animal soul? It's dormant. It's dormant. But nothing is really changing, because if something was really changing, then what would happen? It would last afterwards. Okay. okay. So again, go back. If you, know, if you knew that a friend of yours, your, your future spouse, had to spend 30 minutes every morning thinking about why it's so wonderful that you're in life, in order for them to feel any genuine desire to spend time with you, oh, right? you wouldn't feel like, right? right? Now, obviously, they had to get to know you. That you're not objecting to. You're really thinking, once you get to know me, that should be good enough, right? What you know about me should create some kind of lasting change in how you feel about me. But that's not happening with the Bainity. It's only when they're putting in that effort. And then what happens? As soon as their mind shifts into engaging with anything else, it's as if, as if, the, as if the prayer never happened. Now, in terms of their perspective on life, that stays. There is a, they have become aware of the innate love, which we, we made a brief reference to. In terms of, therefore, their commitment to Torah and mitzvahs, that is a lasting change. Right? After prayer. Okay. That we, but that's not what he's asking about. He's asking about the feeling. Because going back to Tevye, Tevye's like, it's very nice that you're committed. I still feel like we don't have a relationship because there's no passion. And if, and, and if the response was, well, I generate the passion every morning through a 30-minute contemplation. It's like... <laughs> That just, that doesn't seem to cut it psychologically, right? Okay, so that's the psychological problem. So a person comes to Alter Rebbe, they come to the solution and say, I want to have a genuine relationship with Hashem. And Lord says, well, I have a solution. You can, you can generate prayer. You can generate an intense feeling of love for Hashem while contemplating it. And the person's response is, well, but then I don't really love Hashem, do I? I'm getting in character, but I don't really love Hashem because as soon as like, I get out of that headspace the feeling disappears. Maybe that's a useful technique to create lasting change in terms of my commitments towards Hashem. And that, that, that's not what he's asking about. But in terms of, but I want, I want an authentic relationship. I want that, so where, where's that emotion? Where's that love? So it, it's unsatisfying on the psychological level for the part of us that desires a real relationship with Hashem. Then there's the theological problem. The theological problem is like this. Truth is not a relative term. as far as the Torah is concerned. Why? When Hasidus uses the, word, the concept of truth, truth is synonymous with God. If it is godly, it is true. And if it is not godly, it is, false. it is not truthful, it's false. So much so, the Hasidus has the following interpretation of the verse. There's a verse. The verse says, Emes Hashem lo'aylam. The literal meaning of that verse is the truth of God lasts forever. Emes Hashem, the truth of Hashem, truth of God, lo'aylam, lasts forever. Hasidus interprets this verse slightly differently and interprets it as follows. Emes Hashem, the truth of Hashem, 
la'ilam should come into the world. In other words, we're changing the word la'ilam meaning forever to oilam being world and then lamed in front too. So the idea is that the truth of Hashem has to come to the world. Okay? And therefore, Chassidus makes the observation based on that. Well, if you have to bring the truth to the world, what does that imply about the state of the world on its own? It's not godly. It, it lacks truth. Right. And, so the, and so truth is, is a characteristic that is exclusively the province of godliness. So anything which is not godly is not truthful. It might appear truthful that you know, things, can, things can appear to be different than what they are. But in, in fact, to be truthful is to be godly. To be godly is to be truthful. Okay. So, and, and this is the Hasidic understanding of the idea of absolute truth. Absolute truth is not just simply, oh, well, you know, it can't be I have my standard and you have your standard because then what's the truth? There's philosophical ways of working around that problem. It's because that truth is, is trying to get at a, a characteristic that is unique to God. And if God is one, then there's only one truth. Okay, so now we have to understand what is truth and why is that unique to God. So now we're going to read the text. Okay. So there's two problems here. One is, if my love is not truthful, then there's a question psychologically, is it really, am I really loving him? And two, if it's not truthful, then it's not really a connection to God because God is truth, truth and that which is not truth is not godly. Now this quality of love of which we speak in the case of the Bainani, which is attained at the time of prayer. Okay, focus here, which, which love are we talking about? By virtue of his, of his of the preponderance of the divine soul, etc., is in comparison with the degree attained by tzaddikim who serve God in perfect truth, not called true service at all, since it passes and disappears after prayer. And it is written, "The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is for a moment." So, what is the characteristic of truth? Something which is true lasts. Something which does not last forever is. False. So, I'm going to ask you just a simple question. Would we say, using the words the way we're using them now, that it is true to say that the cup is on the table? No. No. It is not true to say the cup is on the table. That is not a statement of truth. It might be a statement of fact. In Hebrew, the word is mitzias, reality. The reality is... <laughs> The cup is on the table. If you want to go look for the cup, you'll find it on the table. That is factually correct. But that is not truthful. Why? Because it doesn't last forever over there. Now it's not on the table anymore, see? Okay. So, that which is true lasts forever. That which lasts forever is true. What lasts forever? A shell. Does anything else last forever? No. Really? Things that are so small. One plus one. Things that you were going to say something. Things that are. I don't know if associated is the word, word, but like I was going to say associated with God, but infused with godliness. What? It's infused with godliness, right? So let's use let's use let's use an analogous characteristic, right? Fire is hot. Yes. If something is in proximity to the fire, the fire will imbue that other thing with heat. So as long as it is in proximity to the fire, the thing is hot. It's not hot for the same reason that the fire is hot, but it is hot just like the fire is hot. 
Okay? Let's use another example. The soul is a living entity. The body? Well, the body is the kind of thing that you put in a chant. That's what the Tzemach Tzedek says. The soul is a living thing, and the body is the kind of thing you put in a chant. Have you ever eaten chant? Right? So in the chant, there's muscle, tissue, and bones. That makes up the bulk of a body, right? Pretty gruesome. Never. <laughs> 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 I mean, think about it. Like, like, ever tell you the story about my son and the brain and, and thinking? Yeah. I told you the story, yes? When my, my son said that people, the brains think. The brains, the brains are just, you know, fat and protein. Yeah. Yeah. Same stuff you eat. So your mind thinks. Something your mind thinks, right? Your brain doesn't think. Right, okay. So... And by the way, what happens if you leave the chalant meat sitting on the counter um, instead of putting it in the chalant? It rots. It rots. That's right. So um, how come your chalant isn't rotting? The chalant, you know, this chalant over here. Because, well, because, because living things don't decay. But the body is not alive. It's the soul that's alive. But just like the fire imbues the thing next to it with heat, the soul imbues the body with life. life. And so as long as there's a connection between the soul and the body, the body is living. Now, if that connection is severed, what happens? The body decays. By the way, this can even happen with part of the body. There are certain diseases and certain traumas to parts of the body that can cause some part of the body to no longer be connected to the soul. And then what happens to that part of the body? It rots away. And the rot produces poison, thus killing... The adjacent part, and this is one of the main reason for amputations. Yeah. Gruesome, but relevant to our conversation. What? Toxins. That's why they amputate, because it can... Yeah, if this part part rots away, that rot will start killing this part, and then this will rot, and that will kill that part, and eventually kills the person. Mm -hmm. Plus, if the rot gets into the bloodstream, then it can kill the person much faster, because it can get into the heart. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so we have this idea of something infusing its properties in something else, like heat, like life. Okay? One is a more physical phenomenon, one is not a such a physical phenomenon, but you're getting the idea, right? Light, for instance, doesn't do that. Light, when light shines on something, does the thing change on it? Does it become a luminescent body because light shines on it? Generally speaking, not. Okay. So... Okay, so now what happens if something is infused with Hashem's presence? It's true. It's true. Now, here's the key thing. Why is it true? Because it has Hashem's presence in the So is its truth its own truth? No. Or its truth is Hashem's truth? Hashem's. Right? The heat of the water is not the water's heat, right? Take the water away from the fire, see how fast it cools off, right? Right? Take the soul away from the body, the body starts to decay. Right? Take Hashem's presence out of the thing which is true, it's no longer true. So, is it factually correct to say that only Hashem lasts forever? No, it's not factually to say only Hashem lasts forever. But anything else that's lasting forever is lasting forever because it's suffused with Hashem. Hashem. So far so good? Okay, so now, I'm going to take it back to the, take it back to the question, okay? 
Um, and then I want to go back and, 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 and develop what we're saying. If a tzaddik has a love for Hashem that lasts forever, why is it lasting forever? Because that love is suffused with what? What? Godliness, right? So that love, right? The love itself, the love in, that, in that experience of love, right? That experience of love is an actual connection to Hashem because it's suffused with Hashem and that's why it lasts. Right. On the other hand, the Bainani's love for Hashem doesn't last because as soon as they stop contemplating, what happens to the love? It goes away. So what does that sound like? Sounds like which means it sounds like that love is devoid of Hashem's. Presence. Which means, are you actually connecting to Hashem in that lo- experience of love at all? It would sound like not, and this is the question, the theological question. Right. So you have A, it doesn't seem like this is a, an authentic expression of me. I don't love, I'm just generating that thing, right? And this reception goes away. And B, that is not even a really authentic godly, it's not even really godly experience because if it was a godly experience, what would happen to it? It would stay. That's the question. There's an answer, right? It, it turns out it is authentic. Both it's authentic to the person and it is Hashem, suffused with Hashem's presence. What we have to explain how that's the case. Can I ask you something? Yes. Didn't you say that even a sadik can sometimes drop from his circus to a different level? Yes. So anything in a human is not permanent in So wouldn't that already call the truth of the question? Well, before I answer that, I want to go back to this idea that something that lasts forever is truthful. Okay. Is the fact that it lasts forever what makes it truthful? Or is the fact that it's truthful make it last forever? Mm-hmm. It's the second. In other words, being true... Is, a char- is, is, some kind of a, is some kind of a characteristic which, me- which has a symptom, which has a manifestation in the fact that something which is truthful which will, will last forever. Okay? And that, I want to get to that because if we understand that, then we go back and understand why we're saying that Hashem uniquely is truthful, why we're saying that things are only truthful Hashem is within them, and then we can also answer your question about, well, a tzaddik could not have to stay a tzaddik, right? They could, you know, do something to lose being a tzaddik. That can happen. And how that doesn't violate the idea that it's truthful. So, yeah. So when the Benini is praying and loving Hashem, is he infused with godliness? That's the Altoba's question. On the surface, it doesn't seem like it. But he wants to come out and show that it is. You, okay. The Benini is. It's forever quality. It well, like it. it does, right. Okay, so what is it to, why, what is truth? What is the essence of truth such that this symptom, the manifestation of truth is that the thing will last forever? No, no, that, 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 no. Hashem is true. So let me, let me, let me, let me ask a different question. Is Hashem last forever and that's why he's true? Or is he true and that's why he lasts forever? Okay, so then keep Hashem out of the discussion. What do you mean by true such that the result of which is that that which is true lasts forever? Like the word true is doing a lot of, a lot of philosophical work here. Why is this cup here? Very good. Why is Hashem Hashem? 
No, no. Why? What, what is the cause of Hashem being? The oneness. What? Oneness. That's the cause? No. There is no cause. Let's be, let's let, the, the correct answer is one. Let's be clear. What is a cause? A cause is that if A is a cause of B, if, if you have A, then you have B. But if you are lacking A, then you do not have B. Anything that fits that description has a causal relationship, right? Um, that makes sense? So, if I put the cup here, the cup will be here. If I don't put the cup there, the cup won't be here. Well, the cup could have gotten there somewhere else. Okay, fine. So, it's something you need analogous to my pudding, right? You need my pudding or something that will service like my pudding, right? So, you put a hole, right? There needs to be an, an action done on the cup to put it there. So, if the cup is going to be in any place, there has to be an action on the cup. So then if the cup exists... There had to be something that put it into existence. Something that to make, it. to make it, right? Yeah. If the cup exists, the cup has to be made of something, right? So there's all these different kinds of causes. Good. Okay. Is Hashem's being the kind of being that if there's something else, then there's Hashem, but if there isn't this something else, then there isn't Hashem? No. So what causes Hashem to be? Hashem. No. It's not a causal relationship. It's not a causal relationship. It's not a causal relationship. Now, this is confusing because if you actually look in the Hebrew text, it will sometimes say that, the, the text will say that he was called which means his existence comes from himself. That does not mean that he causes himself to exist because that's silly. What does it mean? It means that his existence doesn't depend on anything outside of himself. And that is what it means to be true. Something that is true does not depend on things outside of itself. Very absolute. Ah, so now if I'm using the word truth in a borrowed, limited sense, well, I mean, you know, I could say the cup being there is true because, like, once it's here, unless somebody goes and moves it, okay, but, like, the very fact that it's there, right? So I, I can... Truth, truth is something that doesn't depend on something else. Because anything that depends on something else, in principle, anything that has a cause, in principle, will at some point be different than it is. Because the way it is depends on the cause. Change the cause. Okay. So the only thing that's actually truthful is Hashem. Right? This, by the way, is halacha. The Rambam says in, in, in chapter 1 of the Laws of the of the Torah that Hashem is, is the sole truth. And the reasoning is because he depends on nothing. He has no dependencies. Okay? Where is the definition, the definition of truth that you're getting coming from? This is like the standard definition you'll find if you read like the Rambam, if you read Kabbalah. Like this, is, this is how they're understanding. Just not having a cause and never ceasing to be? Well, the never ceasing to be, we have a verse. But like now, what's the concept here is that what the not ceasing to be is an indication of truth because the idea is that it can't stop. It can't cease to be. Okay, so now, let's think, about, let's, think about the, let's think about this. As long as the fire is, the, the water is next to the fire, what will the fire be? Hot. Is it physically possible? For the fire, water to be proximity to the fire and the fire and the water to be cold. No. no. Right? 
as long as the soul is infused in the body, the body will live, right? Which means on a very basic level, the body will not decay. If you would like to know whether the soul has departed from the body, check for decay. If the body's decaying, the soul has. If the body's not decaying, it's still there. If it's not decaying because you've done something to retard the decay, well, it's still, the soul's gone because you have, you're preventing the decay, right? So you stick the, stick the body in a freezer, right? <laughs> That's not an indication of soul still being there. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So there's a quality of Hashem's being, which is that he is not dependent on anything other than himself, right? And therefore, there is no notion of him ceasing to be. Something which is caused, if you remove the conditions for its existence, it ceases to be. You alter the conditions, the nature of its existence will change, right? So for instance, today you are in one mood, tomorrow in another mood. Why is that? Because your mood is conditioned on other things. Good? Why does the tzaddik's love not disappear? It's not dependent on conditions. It is dependent on conditions. The tzaddik's love? Mm-hmm. Because remember, there's only one thing not dependent on conditions, oh, which is Hashem. Is the tzaddik's love God? Can you pray to the tzaddik? No. Okay. So then, why is the tzaddik's love not disappear? It's infused by Hashem. Hashem is infused within it. And since Hashem is infused within it, it can't, just like Hashem can't disappear, it can't disappear. That love can't disappear. Now, but that love being, that love being everlasting does have a condition. What's its condition? Go back to the water. What's the condition for the water to be hot? It's connected to the source of the whatever it is. If the tzaddik were to choose to do something to disconnect his psyche from Hashem, would his love remain? No. No. But that's immaterial to our discussion, right? In other words, the, the love is of the nature that that love would last forever because that love is suffused with Hashem. Take, take Hashem out of the love, which could happen, well, then, then, then the whole thing changes, right? So the, 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 the quality of being everlasting is not because the love is in... This is, this is kind of a little bit, you have to be careful with the wording. It is not because the love is inherently truthful. It's because the love is suffused with Hashem's truth. Now, the Bainini's love, on the other hand, does he have to do anything for that love to disappear? Or that love just, if you don't actively maintain it, it disappears? So to use to use it to use it to use it, to use to use um, a physical analogy, um, if you're juggling and you're an expert juggler, what happens if you stop juggling? Does it matter how good of a juggler you are? The, the balls will fall. Why? Because the balls doing that those amazing you know maneuvers depend entirely on what you're doing. So the tzaddik does something which suffuses his emotions with godliness and so for the truthfulness of godliness alters the nature of his emotion and therefore his love for Hashem is everlasting. And unless he does something to banish Hashem's presence from himself, that, that love is going to last forever. 
The Bainy, on the other hand, what are we saying? That his love exists only as long as he is doing the mental juggling to produce it. He stops that, it disappears. That sounds like that love is completely devoid of Hashem's truthfulness. How is it real? And that's the question. Answer. Right, so is it clear now that just saying, well, well relative truthfulness is good enough. It's not going to be, doesn't really answer the question. It's a symptom. It's an. It is a. It is a necessary effect of truth. But remember, when we saying that tzaddik's love lasts forever, is it that the love is an intrinsically truthful, or the love is suffused with Hashem, who is truthful? And so, what makes the love everlasting is the. So, in what sense could a tzaddik lose their love? Not because the love dies, but because they do something to. Separate the love from Hashem, which is not the topic of how that how that could happen. Right, but the being as as long as he had that love, it's still a love that is suffused. With love. No, it's on the certain on the surface. No, it's not because if it was suffused with Hashem, he could just stop and let that love be, and he can't. He just has to work hard. No, it's not. He has the fact that he has to work at all. If it's truthful, it doesn't need to be maintained. What? Because what do we say the truth? What, what, if Hashem is really within it, mm-hmm. then, then it lasts because Hashem's within it, not because he keeps contemplating. But just like the tzaddik can banish. Hashem. But he has to banish. The banning doesn't have to banish. The banning, you know, there's a very, this cup is here, right? On a very, very simple level, if I do nothing, is the cup going to stay there? Okay. Yeah? The cup is here. Yeah? Why is the cup here? Because I'm holding it. I stop holding it. It falls. Right? Those are very different? They're, they're, I, they're different. Okay, that's they not a perfect... They do have something in common. Which is? The fact is that it is where it is. Like... That's fine. No one is questioning whether the Bainini is experiencing love. We're questioning whether that love has... True. And what makes the tzaddik's love true is not that it lasts forever. Mm-hmm. What makes it true is that Hashem is suffused, suffused within the love. And if Hashem is suffused within the love, the effect love. of the love, that is going to be the love lasts forever. Now, the tzaddik having a free will, which again is not the topic of conversation, can banish Hashem from the love. Hashem could, for reasons best known to him, withdraw himself from that love. And if that were to happen, okay, then the love wouldn't last forever. But that's but 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 that's not the, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the love as it is suffused with Hashem. It lasts forever. Whereas the Bainanese love does not last forever. The Bainanese love requires constant maintenance by the Bainanese his brightness, by the Bainanese contemplation in order for that love to exist. And the minute that that his mind departs from that his brightness, what happens to the love? It's being artificially generated. It's not, it's, it doesn't have any. It doesn't have any staying power of its own. Well, if it doesn't have any staying power of its own, that means it's devoid of Hashem's presence. Because if it has Hashem's presence in it, it wouldn't depend on his Hizbainus, it wouldn't depend on his contemplation to persist. It would persist on its own. I'm having a hard time with this. I'm just, I mean, unless Hashem presents, suffuses love and presents love in different ways. 
That's the psychological issue. I want, I want to keep, they're both relevant, but I want to keep them separate. If you have to work to make yourself feel something, then on a deeper level, you don't really feel it. That's one thing. That's a psychological issue. I'm now dealing with a theological issue. What does it mean that something is truthful? It has no cause. It has no cause. And the symptom of having no cause is that it will be forever. So what makes the tzaddik's love eternal Hashem. What is the Bainini's love clearly therefore lacking? It's suffusing because he's not, he has to cause it. And so therefore, is his love a bridge between him and Hashem? No. A, his love is not authentic to himself seemingly because that love has to be created. Created, yes. right? And it has to be, and then he goes away and he has to create it again. It goes away and creates to create it again. And even if he does that ongoing, it's still because he's can't, as if the person is juggling, juggling, juggling. You stop juggling, it disappears. So it's not really authentically coming from him. And Hashem is not present in that love. Because Hashem was present in that love. The love. Transform. Forget transform. The love would last forever. forever. So it could be that the Baini is connected to Hashem in his commitment to Torah and mitzvahs. The effects of the after davening. But it doesn't seem that there's any, any connection to Hashem actually being created in the experience of love generated during davening. And if you like created like an alt, if you like saying, well, we should measure truth on a different scale doesn't solve either of these problems, does it? Like, like, it, 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 because, because we're not, in other words, that's the difference between saying something like truth versus success. Success is you make a standard and you can say, did you meet the standard, right? And you can therefore adjust success by adjusting the standard because it, 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 success is by its, by its very definition an artificial thing. Okay. Truth is not artificial. Truth as a psychological thing is not artificial. It's, it's, it's a, it, it's what you see really is a window to who I am. And if what you're seeing is not a window to who I am, then it's not truthful. Like, right? And both whether it's someone else looking at it or myself looking at it. And then there's another thing, which is again, truth being in the theological sense, truth is the, 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 the being of Hashem who has no cause. And because he has no cause, his existence is eternal. His existence is everlasting. And things have truthfulness because they're suffused with Hashem's presence. And so something that dies out unless you maintain it is lacking Hashem's presence. So how is the love that the Bain is generating during davening connecting them to Hashem in any way? It's not. It's like a very interesting, it's like a very wonderful experience to have. The after effect, the, the result of the sense of clarity about reality and having some sense of your innate love of Hashem that gives you committed to Torah and mitzvahs beyond the davening, that might be truthful, but, but the, the experience during the davening is not truthful at all. And if you happen to daven every day of your life for 24 hours a day, at every moment you're having this experience, it doesn't make it truthful because you're just doing a good job of... Right? The, the Rambam gives an analogy in a slightly different context for a, slightly, for a different idea the difference between daylight and lightning. In daylight, the state of affairs is things are illuminated. That's, what it, that's the situation. In lightning, 
If it's the middle of the night and there's a lightning flash, you can see. But there's, but but the, the lightning flash is a is 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 an event that is occurring. It's not the state of affairs. That makes sense. What if you had a, what if you what if you had somebody who had an ongoing lightning flash? Like before the light of one lightning flash faded, there was another lightning flash. Would that be the same thing as daylight? This is what the rabbi asked the question. Is that the same as daylight? There's like one of those big, you know those lightning flashes where it's like, the, it's brighter than day? So one of those, and right before it starts to fade, another lightning flash, another lightning flash, another lightning flash. Is that of the same quality as daylight? No, why not? What? Right, there's this sense that it's, it's something is happening at every moment. It's happening, it's happening, it's happening, rather than just a state of being. The Bainani's love is something that is to be generated. It's happening. And if he's Bainani Davins all day long, that's still what's happening. It's, mm-hmm. right? The tzaddik has experienced something which contains a sense of Hashem in it, so that experience becomes the state of affairs. It becomes everlasting. And as long as Hashem's so within it. Like it's it's not, we were not tzaddikim. Yeah. We're really not tzaddikim. Yeah, I can't. Now, we, we do have experiences that are subjectively feel like that. What would be something that we subjectively feel like? Is there anything that you like that you only that you, you really like, but you only learned about it after you were a child? Yeah. Do you have to sit down every day and contemplate it and, and, and ponder it to appreciate it and then you feel the desire for it? Or just any time anything make, makes any casual reference to it, you're filled with some kinds of feelings of positivity? So, there you go. Right? There's plenty of stuff like that, right? Well, that's like how Tzaddik would feel about a ship. It doesn't need to contemplate. There's some lasting change in there. Now, and that's because Hashem is suffused in it. I just want to point out something that just because something appears to be everlasting doesn't in fact make it true. There is an idea of a klipa faking and imitating. So, so we have to be, we, we be aware that that which does not last is not truthful and therefore is devoid of Hashem's presence. However, that which appears to last may still be devoid of Hashem's presence. Moreover, there is also the possibility, which is in fact what we're seeing here with the Benini, there can be something which appears to fade, but is nonetheless still in fact truthful. Okay? And that's actually what we want to get to, is that even though this has the appearance of being devoid of truth, in fact it is, and the, the converse. You can have things which have the appearance of truth, but are in fact not. Okay. Klippa does a very good job of pre- pretending to be what it is not. Can you give me an example? Of what? Which, which one? Something in Klippa that appears to last forever. Logic. Appears to last Logic seems to be truth. Right? Like just, it's hard to conceive of, but for instance, in the Holy of Holies... The 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 space like the very logic of consistency of space broke down. Okay. Um, in the Holy of Holies, the Aaron, the Holy Ark, was one and a half amos by two and a half amos in terms of its area that it took up. The Holy of Holies was twenty amos by twenty amos. 
And the Gemara says that there were 10 amas of free space on each side of the Aaron, which means the Aaron didn't take up any space. Now, that's logically impossible. You cannot have 10 plus 10 plus 2.5 equal 20. Time and space are the big time. No, 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 no. No. But the sense that they are inviolable is klipa. In other words, the, the lo- logic is not klipa, but the sense that it's inviolable is klipa. So that would be the simplest example. How is logic not klipa? Because it's not like explicitly for Hashem? Well, there's logic of Kedush and there's logic of Klippa. Like, when you're, the, slow, the logic in the Torah is Kedusha, right? The logic of the world when used in the service of Hashem and only for the service of Hashem is also elevated to Kedusha. But the logic in the world on and of itself is Klippa. Yeah. Okay. Nevertheless, in relation to the rank of the Bainim, it is regarded as a truly perfect service in terms of their level of truth. Well, how <laughs> exact opposite of what I said, right? That's why I gave all these introductions. If you understand the question, then we have to really think what he means by the answer. In each man's relative to his standing in the ranks of the Bainim. Okay. So given how I phrased the question, let's, let's just try and think through for a little bit. Um, how could you have truth on different levels? Like explaining something to a kid is truth on their level. No, it's not like a trick. What? It's not like a trick. It, it, it's, I, I'm setting it up this way because I want you to appreciate what he's saying because, because very often the takeaway is, oh, Hashem, so everything's put onto your level. But that's not actually what he's saying, right? We just, what is truth? Truth is that which will last forever, right? It lasts forever, why? Because it's suffused with Hashem. And Hashem lasts forever. Hashem lasts forever because Hashem doesn't depend on anything else. So as long as Hashem is suffused within it, it has an everlasting quality, right? Okay. Is that relative? So how can the Alter say that it's, it's relative, each person according to their different levels? Some people can only handle a certain amount of truth. So, no, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to explain it using an analogy and then we'll, 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 we'll get to the... We'll see how far that goes. We're getting to the end of class and we'll continue, we'll continue this next week. Does the heat of the fire suffuse the water? No. It only, doesn't? Only as long as... As long as it's in proximity, yeah. Obviously, I'm doing lots of proximity to it, yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. What aspect of the water is suffused with the heat of the fire? The temperature. Well, temperature is a measure of something. So I want, to be, I want, I want you to use words that, that an eight-year-old could, could, or better yet, that a six-year-old could understand. How it feels. <laughs> okay. It makes it more wet. It makes it more dry. It, it makes, makes it hotter. Okay. <laughs> what? Right, you could tell this to a six-year-old. You could tell the six-year-old this, right? They would under, you could tell your six-year-old the following. You could tell your six-year-old that the water is made up of little tiny bits of water. Not, right? The six-year-old, I have to tell them that, right? And 
each little bit of water, it's dancing. And when it dances faster, and you touch it, it feels. And if it dances slower than your hand, then it feels. And if it dances at the same speed as the little bits of your hand are dancing, Could it be like with that? Yeah. Okay. That that would be a way you can explain that to a six-year-old. Okay. Good. So it's the right. It's that right now. Let's talk about the. So it's that we're we're gonna call for the the speed of the the speed of the little bits of water dancing. That's what's that that's what's that's what's being changed. That's what's being affected. That's what's being suffused with the energy of the heat. Right. Okay. Make sense. Um, but the water has all sorts of characteristics that are unlike the fire. Water is bright. Or sorry, fire is bright. Water is not. Does the water become bright because the fire? No. Okay. Um, fire, a fire, a fire consumes. It's a very interesting thing, right? Um, This gets a little bit graphic. I apologize. There's something called getting burned. Okay. Can you be burned by boiling water? Yeah. What happens when something burns chemically? It changes chemically. No, but what, what's the actual chemical process of burning? Does anyone know? But, but what happens? I've got some, I have some, let's say I have some paper and I light it on fire. And Did anyone know specifically what goes on? It's really hot. Okay, so, so burning, burning, your regular everyday burning of things, you know, like a stove, okay. a fire, all these things, your Shabbos candles, what they do is they take something which is made of hydrogen and carbon and it breaks down the thing that's made of hydrogen and carbon into hydrogen and oxygen and hydrogen, carbon and oxygen. That's what it does. So you have something like, say, the wax of your candle. The wax of your candle is made of, made of molecules that have a lot of carbon and hydrogen in them. And the air around is made of, has a lot of, and what does the fire do? It says we're gonna chop everything up into little bits and we're gonna pair every little piece of oxygen in the air with two pieces of the carbon, the two pieces of the hydrogen from your candle. And we're gonna pair every piece of carbon from your candle with two pieces of oxygen from the air, hopefully, because otherwise it's very dangerous. And now, so it produces carbon dioxide, hopefully, not carbon monoxide, because that'd be bad, it's very dangerous. Um, and water, okay? This is very important. So therefore, can you burn water? No. In that sense, can water burn anything? No. No, because it's already, at, right? So what's happening, if God forbid you pour boiling water on your skin, is not the same thing that happens if a fire is set to the skin, is it? No. No. What is the same is that there is a destructive release of energy. So there's clearly differences between fire and water, right? 
in, even, in, even in the notion they both can burn flesh, there's a very big difference of what's actually happening, right? Make sense? Okay. So it's fair to ask, when you say one thing is suffusing the other, where is that suffusing taking place? And what aspect of it? In the water, it's in the vibration of the molecules, right? I said little bits dancing, right? That's, that's how, the, that's how the, the energy of the, what aspect of the fire? It's the energy of the fire is suffusing itself in the vibration of the molecules, right? That's the heat, but not anything else, okay? Um, when the soul suffuses the body, right, all sorts of things. For instance, a living thing preserves itself. So that self-preservation quality. We have metabolism. We have, a, right, we have the fact that we, call, we have now desires to eat, desires to avoid danger. All those things are a result of the living thing preserving itself, suffusing itself into the body, right? But the soul is also a non-physical entity, right? So all of the things which have no physical corollary can't be suffused into the body, right? Okay. Um, where is the truthfulness of Hashem suffused in the love of the tzaddik, in the experience of the love? Is the Bainini's experience of love the part of him where Hashem is suffused? Because if it was, what would happen? The love would last forever, he'd be a tzaddik, right? But could there be some other aspect of the love that Hashem is suffused within? Yeah. And that aspect is eternal and truthful. Maybe not the experience of love, but some other element of the love. That's what he's going to go on to say. In other words, to be truthful means that it's suffused with? Probably. And therefore it will be last for? Forever. So where in the side is it infused? In his experience. The actual emotional experience of passion and desire. Is the experience of passion and desire of the Bainani suffused with Hashem's presence? No. no. But is there something in him that is suffused with Hashem's presence? And that something is somehow an element of that love, somehow an aspect of that love? And that aspect, therefore, is eternal? Aha. Uh-huh. So are we changing? Oh, it's a relic. No, we're saying is what's different is that where, the, where, the, where Hashem is, is, is present in the person is different. But we're not, we're not saying, oh, you, get a, you have a different standard of truth. <laughs> not a different standard of truth. Truth is truth. But it's suffused into a different aspect of them. Okay? So I don't leave you hanging completely. And without, you know, I could just say you should read onwards. What the author was going to say is that it's the capacity to produce love that Hashem resides within. And what's going to be important is that that capacity is not automatic. Not everyone has that capacity. In other words, the Bainini has, has the, 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 the actual experience of the love is not suffused with Hashem's truth. But something about who he is makes him have the ability to create that experience. And the part of him that's able to generate that experience is suffused with Hashem's presence and therefore that capacity is eternal. Okay. So, yes, we're saying it's relative, it's relative where the truth, which part of him is suffused with the truth, not the meaning of truth has become relative. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll end it here. Tomorrow's questions and answers, and we'll continue Bezer Hashem next week. Um, next week, we have only two classes. Maybe. Because Wednesday is the fast of Esther.
Erev Purim for me. And I do not teach well. I do not teach well on fast days. I don't do anything well on fast days. So, so uh, this is our last question to answer until after Purim. Thank you for not leaving us on the cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's actually the point. I once made the mistake of saying the truth of a, of a Russia at one point to an uh, old Russian chassid with a long white beard who knows a lot of chassidists. And um, who is... What? He didn't hit me. Um, and he's a very mellow... He's not mellow. He's a very settled person. Intense but subtle. So... When I say he lost it, you have to take that in proportion, but, but, but a Russia by definition has no truth. There's no truth to a Russia. There's no truth to Klippa. He doesn't have, he doesn't have, well, he might have, no, he doesn't. But we say Russia, so we're not infused with God at all. No. Okay, so capacity to produce the love is eternal. But, but that, if we're saying that capacity of love is eternal because Hashem is suffused within it. That's only for a baby. For sure. So then what's the tov in Russia? Is that, is that, is that, godly, is that the godly soul is given the opportunity to express itself on the animal soul's terms? So you said that, right? Well, the, the tov of the, of the, of the, of the Rosh Hashanah was that the godly soul is given the opportunity to express itself on the animal soul's terms. But that's still like false even though it's a godly soul. Right, right. There's something false about that because if, it, if it's suffused with Hashem then why is it dependent on the, what the animal soul is okay with? Right? There's, there's, in other words, there's, yes, in some sense that godly soul is lacking a sense of God because if it really had that sense of God it wouldn't be subordinate to the animal soul. Exactly. We're not talking about the fact that there's a deeper level of every Jew with his innate level. We're not talking about that level, right? That's what throws people off. We're not, that's a different level. But on that level, every Jew is a tzaddik and every Jew is holy. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about the more concrete. Okay.